Lost the weight upon my shoulder. Now it's easier to walk. I can see the road before me. I am not afraid to fall. Okay, welcome to the podcast today. We have a really uh, special episode. Um, this we're with Jorge Font. Hi, Jorge. Hi, how are you? I'm very pleased to be with you. Yes, thank you for being here. So um, we heard about Jorge from a friend of my husband that he works with, Fernando, which also I consider a friend. Um, Fernando is an awesome person, and he had you speak at a Little Caesars um, event, right, in Mexico City? Yes, he invited me to, to, to share my experience with the people that is working there, and... He's a great guy. He creates a great atmosphere, yes. and he's—I uh, think that he—he's like a person that can like be a, a great pro- professional and a great person, mm-hmm. and that is uh, the people that I look look up to be. Yes, I found that to be true about um, Fernando, and so he kind of yeah connected Jorge and I, and then. Crazy enough, Jorge is joining us from Orlando, and last, or I guess two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, it's time flies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I went to Orlando with my husband to a conference, and we were able to meet um, with Jorge and his wife, Teresa. Is that how you say it? Yes, Teresa. Yes, perfect. Ter- Teresa. Yeah, and she was so lovely, and it was so great to meet both of you, and so we were able to have lunch with um, you guys and get to know you and hear about your story. And I, I thought that was a perfect timing that I invited you on the podcast and then I happened to be in Orlando. So mm-hmm. we were able to meet in person. So that was so great. Yes, it's a great chance to meet you in person. And uh, I hope that I can I can speak today like like we spoke that day. It was like a very mm-hmm. like for uh, like easy going thing. And I hope that today... I get my uh, my mind to think in English, so I can speak <laughs> closer to. I sometimes think in Spanish and speak in English. So, if I get stuck, I will just ask for your help. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course, that's, well, that's fine. totally yeah. fine. And I'm very impressed with both you and your wife's um, English, because you guys have only been in Orlando for not a very long. Yeah, we have been here for two years. We're very happy, like having our time here okay. that's great and remind me what was the city I know that you called the city you were from the Eternal Spring which sounded so lovely but I can't remember the name no, of the city the name is a hard one I think in, in English it's Cuernavaca oh yes that's <laughs> very hard <laughs> Cuernavaca but they call it the, the, the city of the, of the Eternal Spring and it's like a one hour drive from Mexico City on the way to Acapulco okay yeah hmm. It sounds very nice. And you still have family there, right? Yes. Yes, I have, we, we have uh, dear friends and family there. Oh, awesome. Oh, nice. And what brought you to Orlando? Uh, probably, well, we, we came to here because uh, Pablo was starting to study. And he, he studied, he's, he's finishing high school, my son Pablo. So we thought that uh, moving here would be a great opportunity for him, especially for the future. Like looking for oh, yeah. opportunities for Pablo. He's a water skier also, and here is a great chance to do and practice that. Yeah, there's lots of lakes in uh, Florida to water ski on. So Yeah, for sure. 
Okay, we'll read um, your bio and then get into your story. Yeah. Okay. Jorge received his bachelor's degree in business administration from the Technological and Superior Studies Institute of Monterey and his master's degree at the (laughs) Ibero-American University. Sorry. Um, Since he was seven years old, he's practiced water skiing and by 1987 had broken the national and Latin American record for trick skiing on four occasions in 1983, 1984, 1986, and 1987. That's so cool. On March 8th, 1988, he had a sports accident that caused him to be become quadriplegic, which is paralysis of his torso, lower body, and legs. As a disabled water skier, he has been a nine-time world champion in tricks, breaking the world record four times. He's won the world champion in slalom six times. Um, Jorge works as the director of institutional philosophy at the Telethon Foundation and director of meaning and human development in Nice. He participates as an associate member on the board of trustees at Tech D. de Monterey campus in Cornavaca. Cornavaca. <laughs> Does that Here we go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Jorge has worked as a consultant for human processes and a speaker in conferences on human development for more than 30 years in Mexico, the United States. Spain, Portugal, Panama, Chile, Colombia, Peru, Ecuador, Paraguay, and El Salvador. So, yes. And then I see here you've written a book, um, and I'm assuming the book's written in Spanish. Yes. I, I, that's what I, I, you know, this morning before getting in touch again with you, I was just thinking then. I, I have to make a translation of my book. In yeah, because oh. I would love to read it. Um, and I think it's so. Can you tell us the name of the book? In Spanish, um, in, in Spanish, it's Ensanchar la vida, and in English, it would be like to brother to to make your life broader, to make, mm-hmm. make to it expand. wider, to expand your mm-hmm. life. You know, what's wow. really interesting about that is when I, I did a translation. <laughs> before the interview because I was curious what it meant and what's crazy is when we were deciding on the name of our podcast it was between beautiful shifts and expanded life yeah um so that's kind of a translation close translation to that because we are trying to think like when people go through things in life you know we like the idea of seeing beauty in it and then also the idea of like expanding your view or expanding your thoughts or you know, being broad and widened to things is what happens when you go through experiences. So I yeah. thought that was kind of cool that it was one of our names we were deciding between. So I love the name of your book. Yes, I think that that uh, probably a lot of the a lot of the persons that you get to interview, they have like uh, at least it, it it is with me that probably the one can see uh, your life like divided in two spaces like before an accident and after it or before an incident and after it and and i think that the the way that you you're presenting it is like to to see our life or at least my life as multiplied by two so it's like having like both the experience of being like an able-bodied person and then uh, entering the disabled world because of an accident. So it's like, um, I see that I have had the chance in my life to, to have the both perspectives. And I think that it, at least for me, it has helped a lot in, the, in, 
in trying to be more empathetic and to see yes. from different perspectives and different points of view whatever happens. Yeah. Yes, for sure. And I loved when you, we asked you, you know, we sent you an email and you said um, kind of what experience, and I loved how you said it because you said, I will share my experience of entering the world of disability through a sports accident and the lessons I have received from my family and friends in this adventure. And I did, I, I was like, oh, it's an adventure. Like, you know, and I'm sure it's been hard and there's been hard things, but your mindset right now is that it's an adventure. It's new. I mean, you went from being a professional water skier and then you still did that afterwards in a different yeah. way, but you still competed. And so it was an adventure. Yeah, I thought that was <laughs> a really positive neat. way of looking at things. And I love that you said, well, I look forward to this experience with a big smile in my heart yeah. regarding our um, interview today. So I love that as yeah. well, because we were really looking forward to talking to you. Yes, I think that, that um, what you do, uh, I like it very much because it's like a way of, of truly believing that people that listen to your podcast, they can like have these like wider lives, like broadening their, their perspective and also like trusting that people are intelligent and that they can learn through others' experience. Because like there's like this phrase that you don't know what you've got till you lose it. And I think that you you don't believe that. It's like you you trust more in people putting themselves in in the other uh, person's skin. And through that you can learn through other experience. And I think that's the, the miracle of, of really uh, sharing and communicating from from the heart and that's that's a, a very uh, like uh, intelligent I would say like like wise uh, way of going through life like trusting that people can really listen put themselves in your place and from there like have a a wiser perspective of, of life. Yeah, that's a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah, for sure. I love that. All right. Well, maybe do you want to tell us just a little bit about your childhood and how you got into water skiing in the first place? Well, I grew up in Mexico. I, I was born in Mexico City. And my dad was a water skier. He, he is in the in the Mexican Confederation uh, Hall of Fame because he had the world record in trick skiing. So Sergio, my brother uh, and I, Sergio is two years younger than me. We started uh, skiing at the same age. I was seven, uh, Sergio was five. So we grew up in Mexico City and we, we every Wednesday and every weekend we went to ski to a lake. That's a hard name also. It's it I think it's harder than Pornavaca. It was it is oh, called Pequesquitengo. No. <laughs> so then that's the name of the lake that oh, we yeah. used to ski. So for <laughs> our I mean my, my life as a young kid uh, it was like I started in Mexico City and I started skiing and then I started training like more formally. And uh, so my life was starting in Mexico and on Wednesday we went all the afternoon to ski and then came back to to sleep to Mexico City and then um, 
and then I started, um, I finished my high school in Mexico City and I was starting my, um, it was a, that was a difficult time for me in the sense that I didn't know what, what to study. So I, after a lot of thinking and reflection, I decided that I, I wanted to go into the medical school. I wanted to be a doctor. So I started uh, my, my, it's an introductory course on which there is like not one single exam. You have like this six month course to see if you like medicine and if the med school likes you. And mm -hmm. I was there and, and I had my accident when I had, um, uh, I, I remember that that day I had a, an exam of, of, uh, of a very hard class and histology, they call it. So I, I, I was skiing and then going to, the, to this course in the afternoon. And one day when I, while I was training, I was like fooling around. I got too close to the shore, just like jumping. And the, my, my ski got caught in the, in the shore and I hit the shore and I broke my neck. And my, I broke the, the sixth and seventh vertebra of my, of my neck. And from then on, uh, while well, I have a, a quadriplegic, that means that I cannot feel or move from my chest down. I can move my arms. Uh, when, when I fell, I couldn't like ex extend my arms. The, the triceps, the muscle that was that is behind the, the, the back part of, of my arm, didn't work well. But I recovered that because of, the, of a great surgery. And I have, uh, and I have a hard time moving my fingers. I can uh, like extend my left hand, which is very useful to say hello and hi, but it's not much. And the right hand, I really can't, can't extend it or move it very much. So uh, that's how I got injured and how I, I got uh, like this, like I would say life changing event. Because you were 19, is that? I, I felt when I was 19 and I was just uh, starting uh, well, uh, to study in, in the university. And I think that, well, in this like quick uh, explanation, I, I just spoke about probably the things that change physically. But there are a lot of things that are not like uh, self-evident, and that they and, and those are like I think the the hard issues to to solve. Like how do you feel? How what is going to happen in my life? The what were my plans and my projects, and how they also like sort of at least uh, freeze if if not get lost so i that's that's how i that's how i felt or how i was when i when i had my accident yeah cuz it's not just a physical thing it's a mental 
yeah thing like yeah yeah what, and i'm sure what like now yeah and like your your whole life ahead of you because you're only ni- 19 so that's a big like mental shift for you to all of a sudden change your perspective that way yeah yes you know let's say it's when when you well at least me I, when you decide what do you want to do with your life what do you want to study How, what do you want to do in your professional development and also Lindsay who do you want to be with and yeah. that, that I mean it, it's 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 funny that that uh, at that age <laughs> you are invited to take such big decisions but that, that's, yeah, that's true uh, and and sometimes when you see it, uh, uh, in in hindsight it's it's not that it's not that way but but i feel but when you're at that age you feel it that way so i was in the middle of these decisions like even it, i would say like going into life and being every time like more independent and in my case i would say like also being uh, uh, a water skier you feel like like this sense of control and enjoy of of control of your body you know you you can do with your body a lot of things you can flip and you can make toe turns and you can do a lot of things and from one moment to another you lose control of even the most basic basic things that your body does like going wow to yeah room. it's like a huge yeah. yeah like some yeah because you're doing something with your body every day that none of us like first of all if you've never seen trick skiing <laughs> you need to look it up because you showed us a video of pablo and i was amazed like i was a water skier growing up you know slalom i didn't do a lot of tricks but watching what they do i oh, mean cool. you're, you have to be very control of your body and you have to be i'm sure it took a lot of practice and i it's such a it's cool that like your dad did it and then you and your brother did it. And now your son does it, but the extreme, like you're saying the extreme control of your body and that's what you did. And then to lose that. Yeah. That's really hard. I think that's one of the biggest challenges of, of like the physical part of it, like, like feeling that you have some control of a lot of things and then losing it all. And then like, teaching your body how to how to do things when you want them to happen because uh, yeah. sometimes I feel like my body has its own time <laughs> and agenda and so I, I try to, to, to say hey hey give me a hand let's let's make a deal and at least try to uh, Put our shuttles together and <laughs> make it work. And, work together. Yeah. And then uh, there are also other things. I would say that one of the most challenging uh, issues is not physical. I mean, it starts up with these physical issues, but it's like, I would say, it like, I would try to explain it like this. It's like feeling that. All of your friends, all of the people around you keep on with their life and their life is in color and moving and yours is like a black and white 
picture that is just seeing life passing by and you're not living life. I think that that's one of the most difficult, like, I would say sensations or feelings or perspectives that the hard part of that is that it's not self-evident. Only only if someone um, gets close to you and really gets to listen with with attention and with their hearts and and try to be really empathetic that's the only way to understand it otherwise if you see like in a picture you don't see what i'm talking about you you see like not moving like not being able to do some things like having issues with a uh, transferring from the bed to the wheelchair or from the wheelchair to the car that's what you see but but what you don't see and that that part of feeling that you're you're losing the the experience of life and losing the connection with others i think that's the challenging part yeah yeah really hard it's so impressive because i mean this accident was how many you when we met it was the anniversary It just happened to be the anniversary, mm-hmm. right? When we met for lunch. <laughs> but remind me, how many years? Was it 30? I, I had my accident years on ago? 8th of March. That's when we met. <laughs> yeah. And it was in 1988. So I, have, oh, I really okay. have more time, 20. like I would say, rolling around than walking. <laughs> yeah, rolling around. Yeah. 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 Your experience yeah. on earth, like right now, is more in your wheelchair than out. Yeah. Yeah. But it also feels like it seems so like like your memory and of the emotions and all the things that you went through and still probably do go through you know is so vivid and everything so I'm sure even though it feels long ago also it doesn't probably feel that long ago just like everything in life it goes by so fast and and I feel like obviously you're here today and I mean it's hard to express the um experience I had meeting you and talking with you. And like you said, it just flowed really easy. It was a really good conversation with our spouses. Um, and you are just like, if I wish you guys could see him cause we just, we'll, we'll have a clip probably, but, yeah. um, you just smile, you like exude like confidence and happiness and peace. Yeah. But, I would say peacefulness. For yeah. Sure. But obviously you had to get there somehow. So maybe you could tell us like yeah. after your accident and realizing that you wouldn't you know, that you'd be in a wheelchair and not walk. Like what, how did you get yourself through that mentally? What was your mindset or did you have therapy and did you have, or did you have friends and family? Like how, how did you get to the mental strength that you have today? Yeah. And I also wanted to ask just physically, like what was going on after your accident? I mean, like, did you have surgeries quickly following? Like, I mean, I'm sure you probably didn't have a lot of, um, well, you know, you couldn't move around like, like, yeah. How was that just following the actual accident? And then like Chantil said, you know, the progression of, of where you're at to where you're at today. Well, uh, first I had a, when, when I had my accident, I, I was uh, very fortunate to have a surgery that was like be, uh, before like eight hours of my, of my injury. And it was a great neurosurgeon in, in Mexico city. So I, I was in the hospital for eight days and then I was um, 
dismissed? How, I don't know how to say it in English correctly. Or released? Yeah, yeah released, dismissed, Re- released mm-hmm. from the hospital. Which, in, 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 I would say that if you think about it, when you go to the hospital and you are released, it's like, hey, game over. That's it. I'm back to my life. I would say that one of the most difficult moments in my life was getting out of the hospital. Because a hospital can be a nightmare. And, and most of the times it is. I mean, unless you go there to have a baby, no? But, uh, but, but most of the times it's, it's, a, it's a nightmare. But, but nightmares are dreams, you know? The difficult part is waking up to reality. And that is getting out of the hospital and coming back to your house and to your room, which is a room of a different person. That's not anymore your room. You can't even reach the shirts that are in the closet. You can't even go out of the of your bedroom. I mean, of your bed and transfer to the chair. It's that. That's that's like the first. I would say difficult parts. And then it's like uh, even in the hospital is like this, uh, like very difficult uh, moments when you are like just laying there probably with a tube <laughs> in your mouth with a neck with, with mm-hmm. and <clears throat> and you suddenly turn your face and see the the eyes and of your parents or your brother or your cousin or your best friends And with this, like, looking at you, like saying, I love you and I don't like what you're going through. And it's like feeling that, that a little bit of guilt, you know, it's like, they're feeling like that because of me. That's not easy. That, that's not uh, even like all, as I said, self-evident. But I also think, uh, Chantel, that there's a paradox there. And that is where the beautiful shift starts. Because I think that there is nothing more powerful in life than the the look in the eyes of the people that love you. And I found in their eyes that the people that love you They say like th- that a friend is someone that accepts you like uh, as you are. And I think that's that's half of the truth. Because I I discovered in the eyes of my friends and my family a Jorge that I would never would have found by myself. So, Lindsay, when you say that I have Uh, a very like powerful or or strong mind i would say that probably that's what i project but that's not true <laughs> my greatest strength is my vulnerability and my fragility and i have found that 
the look in the eyes of the people that love you that is where real strength comes from and in that sense I am very lucky I am very lucky because when I fell I found I felt like this invisible yet very tangible and real net that catch me that embrace me and then pushed me back to life and that net is really the network of family and friends and the people that did what I find most amazing and I am more grateful in life that someone gets out of their way just to be with you not they don't have to say anything they don't have to give you any recommendations they don't even have to give you any gifts they are giving you the gift of their presence of their love and of their intent of understanding what you're going through and I think that is the most powerful source of energy in life and I, if you, it, that's love in <laughs> one word that yeah so much. that was so well oh, put yeah. got me a little emotional oh me too I was like holy cow this is like the most beautiful thing I've ever heard it's <laughs> yeah, really amazing yeah and yeah. I think that's I mean when I do think about going through hard things, it really is just the presence of the people you love around you. And they don't, you know, even with, we interviewed this uh, Mason that lost his family in a car wreck. And um, that is what he said. He said, it wasn't really what people said. It was just the fact they were there. Yeah. That their, the connection and the presence and just their love of just, like you said, just being there and the empathy and the support and love is just so important and what we need. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think you give yourself enough credit because I think you're very smart and eloquent and wise and everything. But I think it's amazing that you feel that your family saw that in you and sounds like they didn't want to have you give up on you. And so it seems like what you were saying there is you, you were looking to them like the way that they looked at you, you started to believe and then you wanted to become that. And I think that's really cool. So I think that's an issue of, uh, I would say of, of, Pain and uh, not solicited debt. And mm-hmm. I am the greatest, how you say, the, uh, the people, a person that has like a big uh, debt uh, that the, 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 uh, people have invested in me. Mm-hmm. And what I felt is I have to pay back. I cannot be the same person after what I have received from the people around me. Otherwise, I would be very selfish and very stupid because I have received from, the, from my friends and from my family gifts that I would never have expected and I even feel that 
I wouldn't even deserve it. They, they say, they saying that the people, that the person that needs more love, most of the time are people that don't deserve it. And I, I think that, I, I felt that. It's like I receive more comprehension, more help, more, more just being with me than I would ever think I would deserve. So that's a big problem in life because it's like what I'm going to do to live up to all these investors in my token uh, enterprise of life. So that, that, that's, I like that. That, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a moving thing. It's like, what am I going to do? So what I've, what I've tried uh, in my life is to try to do things like to pay back. That's why I appreciate so much this like uh, opportunity and this invitation to be with you because it's an it's a it's a little chance to try to pay back which by the way is a terrible business because I will finish this podcast and my debt will only get bigger with you so that's why I studied business administration and I don't know why I studied that because I, I every time I, I have like uh, like uh, these opportunities I get a bigger debt in my life. Well, you're giving us something. Yeah. yeah so I don't sure. look at it that way at all. But yeah, we're just giving you a platform to tell your story to so many people that I know that will help. But like Lindsay and I have said, if we're the only ones that even listen to this or we get to have this conversation with you, we feel honored that you're sharing your story and that you're just the things that you have learned and then your perspective of. And I, I'm so grateful that you had those people in your life so that you had that drive to find your new second life, like you're saying, like a new chapter. And, and part of that chapter is helping others and giving back. And, and that's, if we could all live that way, then yeah, be a pretty good place to be in this earth. Just yeah. <laughs> giving back always and paying it forward. Yes. I think that that's, um, uh, that's like uh, a big part of, I would say, Lindsay, as you said, the, the adventure of my life. It's like trying to to really like meet people in different circumstances and try to learn from them. I remember, uh, for instance, the first time I had the chance to go to to a jail in Mexico City, and it was like a mind blowing experience to 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 see what happens there and, and and try to see what I think is one of the biggest gifts that I've received in my life in my experience is how to look at persons without being overwhelmed but by the adjectives that life puts you. And I think that dying in jail is very hard because 
you, what you're trying to visit and see and help is people. I didn't care if they were kidnappers. That's, that's not the issue. And that's the thing that I felt with me. Like people, what, when they work, when they are close to me, especially in the hard moments of my life, what they were telling me is, what is important is Jorge, not any kind of adjective or disability or whatever. And I think that, I have always said that one of the most powerful ways to do that is, I would say like in this translation, but it's tacotherapia, tacotherapy. And that, that, the tacotherapy is like when your friends invite you to get out of your bed, out of your bedroom, and they just invite you to eat some tacos with them. Oh, good. I was thinking that's what you were going to say. Yeah, I was like, like oh. am I thinking of this right? Yeah. You know, one thing we, we always, I feel like some of our friends, like, we'll go get like a smoothie. Like, that's our, yeah. our smoothie therapy. It's just yeah. like your taco therapy. But tacos also, sound really good. Food, talking, yeah, like that's Yeah, just therapy. connecting and getting yes. you out to, yeah, to talk to your friends and the people that you mm-hmm. care about and that care about you. So I love that, taco therapy. Yeah. Because, you know, when, when you go to taco therapy, one of the things that happens is that when you're eating tacos, you have to shut your mouth. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least so, so they don't have yet the beans here in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You close your mouth. And when you close your mouth, a miracle starts growing. And that is the miracle of loving and kindness silence. And this is the silence that is not just like this silence from indifference. It's like this silence that is telling you more than any word would be able to say so when you're when you're silently listening from your heart to another person what you're telling him is you are the most important thing in life right now and that that changes your life it's like there's a mexican poet his name is jaime sabines that says that the most beautiful words are those that are said between two people then that don't say a word. You do that by going to eat tacos with your friends. That, <laughs> yeah. That's the miracle of ordinary life. And that's the miracle of just feeling yourself understood and listened and felt by the persons that are more important for you. That's awesome. That's some yeah, good words of wisdom that. there. Go have yeah, definitely. taco therapy with your <laughs> loved ones. I know. I'm like, hmm, tacos. We should switch to tacos and see yeah. these. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> I was wondering, maybe you were going to ask this, but so at what point, so you went through kind of your healing process, but I was wondering how you met your wife and, um, and, kind of yeah how that all came about well i met tere in in the 
the university and I remember I had my f the first like team project that I had to make <laughs> it was with her but it, at that point it was like just a, like a friend from school and then I would say that um, one of the like hard issues of of these things that are not self-evident is like um, going out on the street after being like in the rehab and then like feeling that everybody's life and life was looking for a couple it's going nice and it's like this like n feeling not very explicit and uh, probably not even talked about at least that's what I remember of who is who would be willing to look at me or to be with me like this and then I found this like beautiful look that taught me that there are people that are able to see a piece of art that it's developing and not just stare as the, at the at the frame at the frame of wheels <laughs> and look at the picture and that that look is Tere, my wife and I, I really get to know her more in the <laughs> you will laugh about it in the very romantic class of statistics and against all odds and probabilities <laughs> she fell in love with me and I she fell in love. Yeah. <laughs> and I also I also learn from her I learn every day from her but I learned that there are people that are not just willing to see like a painting and not get lost in the frame but that say I want to make that painting with you and at first mm -hmm. I thought that you would only get into the disability world by accident or by chance but with Tere I have learned that there are people like her that are willing to get into the disabled world through decisions and through love. And, and That's so beautiful. I am yeah. truly very lucky to, to, to say and to be able to present myself as uh, Tere's husband, which mm -hmm. is uh, having a lot of luck. And, and Chantil met her and she would, I think... I will attest to her beautiful person inside and out. Um, very just intelligent, um, thoughtful. Yes. I mean, just, a, yeah, a beautiful person all around. Yeah. Chantil, because, you know, we had chatted a little bit about you guys meeting, knowing that we had this interview coming up. And she's like, he is amazing. His wife is amazing. That You're just going to love them. 
you're going to love him. And so, yeah, I've heard wonderful things about both of you. I have my curiosity. I'm like, I want to hear a little bit more about, you know, yeah, well, I think that came up. Yeah. I don't know if I realized until we met that you're, that she met you after your accident. Mm -hmm. And so like you were saying, I'm sure you and your mind were like, Hey, who's going to want to be with me and who, you know, is seeing this frame of me and not looking at the painting inside and that Teresa was, um, that type of person that would look past that and look at the painting. And then I love the vision of you saying, and then you made a painting together. Like, you you know, came together with this beautiful, you know, union and marriage and family. And that's just so wonderful. Yeah. And I'm so, also, I think I am very lucky because of, uh, I mean, just with Tere, it's, it's being very lucky, but with her family. Because you know the the princess in the story, they appear horseback riding. They don't appear in a wheelchair. And so that speaks greatly of my in-laws, and the way that they have like, they show first a lot of respect to Teresa's decisions, and also the way that they they make me feel loved as another son. So I think that that's also like a very, very important part of my of my life history. Like this like look and this like uh, gratefulness for life and for whatever comes, especially thinking in my my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, they they want the best for today. And, and like this, like acceptance and the way that they have like always seen us, I think that it's also like a very inspiring way of learning how to be a parent, how to, to really trust that your kids are taking the best decisions. <laughs> Yeah, that's such a good point. You know, you don't often think about yeah her parents and maybe yeah. what went into that. But I love yeah that they were just respectful of her and and supportive and probably again they saw you for who you were and didn't let you know the fact that you were in a wheelchair or anything probably hold them back on how they were going to get to know you and view you for you. You know, so I think that's really really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And obviously to get to know you is you are just a wonderful, awesome person. I know. I'm thinking, well, yeah, anyone would feel lucky for their child. And he's just an amazing guy. But but I can see from your perspective, you know, you have limitations. And so you were worried about that. But, but yeah, it sounds like you and your wife are just a beautiful couple. So I am happy for you that you guys found each other. Yeah. And Um, then you guys have your son, um, Pablo. Right. Right. Did you tell me he's like 18 or 19? Pablo is 19 right now. And he's like... uh, He's a great guy. I like I like his his I like I would say I like his wisdom, and I like the the way that he's like a nineteen year old guy, yeah. and and I think that's the the biggest gift of my life is like being Pablo's dad. And also, like living, I, I would say that I, I think that most of our, our, our parents live with like this, uh, like challenge every day to 
I hope I can live up to what being a Pablo's dad means. And, yeah. and uh, I think that a lot of the things that I do every day is, uh, is trying to build a, a world that is up to the dignity of Pablo. And I would love to work to build a world that it's up to the dignity of all the Pablos and Paulas and kids and young people of the world. Because that's, I think that's what we have to do. The world would be different if we took our decisions, putting our kids in the center of our mindset. And, and I, I like that that way of trying to to live my life like that trying to take decisions thinking in how what I'm doing would make a better place and a better uh, space for Pablo even small decisions not just big decisions I mean I, I don't think you have to be like the like the president of, or the director of the United Nations to, to really make it change the world. I, I love the, the feeling and the idea of small is beautiful and small mm -hmm. things that you can do every day in your circumstances, in your community, in your family, that's more the, the that that the sum of all those small details can really make a big difference that's what i i try to do when i think of being uh, pablo's dad and and also like i would say like enjoy the ride living the adventure and if if i would say like two examples of what i enjoy being with Pablo, I would say first, I love to go with him to water ski, and I love being in the boat watching him, and probably I would have to say coaching him, which is not real because he coaches me more than I, but I love like the experience of getting to the dock, and then it's it's really. It's really, I don't know how to say it, it's, I, I'm very grateful to feel like his strength when he carries me to get in the boat and then he skis and I feel like the more, the, the, the greatest person in the world to be able to be with him in that moment. And then we have the chance to talk about how he skied and what he felt and, and we sometimes um, we sometimes uh, laugh together, we sometimes cry together, we sometimes uh, yell at each other, but that's life and that's the, that's the great chance of being like Pablo's dad. And probably a, a, an example of this weekend, you know, Pablo wanted to, to have a free diving course. So he phoned and he got in touch with this uh, paddy instructor, his name is Bob, 
And, and Bob is a great guy and said, yes, okay, you can come and take your course. And said, okay, and what would we do with, with my dad? Because he also wants to take the course. <laughs> and this, this guy, Bob, okay, let, let's do what, what we can do. And if probably the party don't give their certification, but he can stay. So this weekend, I took a free diving course with Pablo, which is like... A small example of what I would say that I enjoy living the adventure and the ride of being Pablo's dad. Yeah. He also sounds like a really, yeah, great Fun son. guy, yeah. Yeah, okay. even when we met, I think he had just come back from Utah coming up here to go snow skiing. Oh, really? With his friends and oh, cool. stuff, though. But, yeah, he sounds like a fun and kid and a good yeah a good son to you and wants you to experience all the things he does right. and I love also your and maybe that's why you say it's an adventure but your mindset of like well first of all you decided to keep trick skiing or competing after your accident yeah like how how long did it take you to start doing that again um and become a world champion in that as well well I, I had my accident on March in 88 and I, uh, I remember that I started, like, part of my rehab was, like, just getting in the wheelchair and try to wheel around in the street every time more. And then I started swimming. I, 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 I remember swimming in the backstroke because it was it's easier for me. And then one day I decided, I don't know how many months about it, I, I want to try to ski, so I went with a... With a just like laying and being pulled, it was like really awkward. And then <laughs> we saw on a water ski magazine, there was a picture of a seat ski and a guy seat skiing. And I would say that it was my brother and me. He, he, we didn't just look at the picture. We started it. <laughs> it was like, like, what is he doing? What? We have to yeah. get one of those. And then... My brother went to the World Water Ski Championships in, it must have been August or July of 89. So three weeks before, three days before the tournament, I went with my mom to a place to learn how to seat ski and to buy a seat ski. That was the first time I skied again. And by the way, I would say that one very important part in my life is that I had my accident, I remember it was a Wednesday. And I had my surgery probably that day. That Saturday, Sergio, my brother, was skiing. And that was a great thing for me. Because what he showed me is that some things change, some things get complicated, but some things keep on going. I would have felt very guilty if I would not just break my neck, but would have finished with the water skiing career of my brother, who, who turned out to be one of the best skiers of the world. So when he went, when he went to the World Water Ski Championships, I, I went to this school in Winter Haven, and I bought some seat skis, and I learned how to ski again. And it was a fun experience, you know, because in the boat, there were two people. There was the guy driving, 
who, by the way, was paraplegic, and my mom. <laughs> Um, so that, that's also like a powerful image in the sense that what you what you think at least no, no, I don't know if it's very explicit or very conscious, but it's like this not this must this must not be like that's such extreme thing if my mom is here. I mean, that, that's yeah. that Normal that's the power of of mom and dad being with you when you're doing something that's that's the first time i skied i remember like with a special ski that was pulled and then when you got out of the water you pull the rope and you will be able to hold it with your hands by the way i don't have the use of my fingers so how i ski is like being uh, with my wrists so i, I it was uh, that's how i skied and even the the people in this uh, ski school were quite amazed that I could ski like that. And it's a it's a hard issue to to ski with a high quadriplegia because you don't have balance. You don't have strength with your torso. So so everything that you control are your hands and your head. And with that, you have to control everything else. So I started skiing there. It must have been one year and a half later and the first tournament I went to must have been probably next year after that and then I had the chance to go to a lot of uh, world disabled uh, water ski tournaments that are a great experience the people that you meet there are like I mean you meet people that are blind skiers and they make slalom and they jump the ramp and a lot of it, a lot of seat skiers that it's a fun experience because you go there and see how they ski, what, what ski they use, how do they move around. It's like a great, like a, a growing experience. That's super amazing. I, I mean, know. I, um, I mean, I grew up with a boat. I didn't trick ski, but it's, it takes a lot of strength to do those things. And so it's amazing that you mainly did it with your, sounds like your head and your wrists. I know. Um, I was just imagining the coordination and, and yeah. yeah, probably the balance so much, just you would learn to lean and different things. But then it was cool how you were saying, going to those events and seeing everyone else that's doing Has, all these yeah, things with different. Being blind or yeah. being whatever. That's so cool. And I, I do love that they, <clears throat> you know, in our world now, there's less limitations. There's more opportunities, you know. I think it's, um, we have a, a neighbor that, um, was paralyzed this last year mm. and he, I just saw that he went snow skiing. I know. I saw that too. I, I just was, was like, so that's cool. amazing. But they had it all set up so that it was, you know, and I actually, what's cool about it is his wife, you know, she was just so proud of him because he caught on so quickly and he's able to, you know, ski longer than most. And, mm-hmm. but I just love that he can do things that he loves still and it doesn't have to end, you know, because of an accident and that you are still able to do your skiing in a different way, but you're supposed to still be able, like you said, your mom was still be able to just be in the boat and you were able to be in the water. And now you get to watch your son, you know, do those things and be part of it. And that's just, awesome. yeah. I think that the, the, if you think about it, the disability is, is like, um, at least in the law, 
I mean, it, probably in the U.S. with the ADA, the American, I, I think it's come from the 90s. But uh, the International Rights uh, Convention for People with Disabilities is from 2006. So it's... Oh, it's relatively it's new. It's really yeah. new. So what I, what I think is like... And, and this is like the way to see disability is like the definition of disability in that uh, convention. It's like... The, I would say it in my words, the issue is not in the person. The issue is like with the interaction of the obstacles of the, of the environment. And if you, if you like uh, reconstruct or make adjustments so that there are no obstacles, disability disappears. But not a person. I mean, what disappears... Disability is with this... I would say there, there's a nice book about design, about inclusive design, that's called Mismatch. And it's like this mismatch between your abilities and disabilities and the barriers and the uh, obstacles that, that are in life. If, 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 as we go on developing more inclusive designs and more inclusive environments, um, the disability starts uh, being less like a misfortune and more as an opportunity of real diversity, of this like real right. inclusion and inclusion in the sense of how to get the most of persons. And you don't get the best version of a person when he is in a non-welcoming environment. And, and that's, that's, that's what I think is like this... Uh, as you say, if a guy has an accident he, and he's no skiing, it's because there, are, there is a place for him to go. There are special skis. There are people that are thinking, uh, how can we enjoy life together? And how can we have the chance of being with you? Because you have something to offer. It's not just like a, like a goodwill thing, you know? It's not, not, not just like a, a one-way uh, direction and giving to others. It's like giving and developing opportunities to really uh, have like more perspectives on life. And we will get there, that if we like make the adjustments necessary. So, but that is quite new. If you see it in the in the, I mean, in the big picture of yeah. history, it's, it's quite new, and, and and that takes time. Yeah, like when you think about just the simple thing, like, I mean, just being able to have a parking spot, or be able to have a ramp, or be able to have yeah space to get your wheelchair is huge because like you're saying it's just a barrier you're still you and you want to do these things and i think it's so cool that there's somebody that's like let's make a water ski so that someone that can still water ski or mm -hmm. snow ski or drive a car i mean now they have you know cars that are that you can drive with your hands or something that can make it so there's not as many barriers and yeah, as, as new as it is, it does seem like we have a long way to go. And, and it, uh, but it's cool that we're making progress. And even the, the example of, of the of the ramps or in the cutting of the curves that were first made for wheelchairs. 
Oh, cutting up curds. Right. Yeah. Right. The, the thing is that that's you, huge. Yeah, it's huge. But you can go there now with a skateboard or with a bike or with a yeah a, a stroller. So that is the the perfect example of inclusive design of how thinking in the needs of probably a special needed person, you can develop more uh, intelligent ways of dealing with life. And that's another okay. gift of disability. It's like this like a way of thinking how to, how to involve all kinds of people, how to have these like different experiences to make your life better. Right. I was just thinking of two things like one, instead of thinking, oh, they can't water ski anymore or they can't snow ski anymore or whatever it is. It's just a different way of doing it. You know, you are still doing those things. It's just slightly different. Our friend, he's still snow skiing. It's just slightly different. And so it's still there's, you guys are all, you, you know, it's, it's making a way for you to still be involved in that. But then I love how you brought up in my mind. I mean, this is kind of how I took part of what you were saying is, um, I think sometimes we think of accommodations as like, let's accommodate for them so that they, they can still be, you know, let's give them wheelchair access so they can enter this building. And we're kind of thinking of it as like giving these people this gift or opportunity, which they are kind of getting through it. But we're so lucky to like, how am I explaining this? Like, I don't know if I'm explaining this the right, right way, but by us, like a being more accommodating. And I don't mean like us and them, but like society is what I'm trying to say we're getting the gift of having all kinds of people staying included and like getting the gift of having, you know, someone like you being able to like be in a, in the same building with us because there's a ramp that you can. So right. Or being in the boat with your son. Yeah. Be in the the boat or being doing these different things, like kind of switching the, the doing this mindset shift in our brains of where it's not like we're just accommodating for the person, but it's for our whole society because as a society as a whole, we're all going to benefit from having every kind of person in every place, because that's just how it works. Like, I think that we all know, like, it doesn't matter what it is, if it's a disability or a race or a gender or whatever it is, like making room for all people is what like can be beneficial. Yeah. To can all be us. beneficial to all of us and just on a broader level, but like on personal levels too. So anyway, I don't know. <laughs> that was my thought. I think that that's like a great way of putting it, Lindsay, because I will give you an example of that I'm working with right now. I'm a business consultant. And right now I'm working in a project for a, a movie theater company in Mexico. And the, the strategy is if you develop your service standards, thinking in the group of persons that are more, could be more challenging for you, Probably the disabled group would be a great example for that. If you develop your service experience, your service standards, according to them, your service experience and your service standards for the rest of your clients will be superior. So that's 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 a business strategy. You know what I'm talking about? It's not. It's not like. Uh, you say like giving someone like the chance of no 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 it's right. like we all get better service if we think in serving the most challenging group and then start from there from there up 
not like an exemption, but as a strategy to be the best of our selves. That's a, I think yeah. that, that can apply to a person, to a company, or even to a country. The, the, the way you, you treat the, the most uh, challenged uh, group of persons can make you grow for all. Yes. Yeah. I love that. That reminds me, um, and maybe this doesn't even quite go together, but it reminded me of the foundation you were telling me about in Spain and remind me what that was called and what their purpose was. I don't know why that came to mind as you're speaking, but maybe when you remind me of what it was, maybe I'll remember. This, this beautiful foundation in Spain, it's called, uh, in, in Spanish, I would say first, it's lo que de verdad importa, what really matters. And what they, what they do in, is that they, the, the short story is that my friend Maria, they, she got like this uh, diary of a very rich man who was about to die. He had cancer and he wrote this diary for his kids. And it was what really matters. I will write what really matters in life so you can learn from my experience and and then what she thought is, why do you have to wait till you have cancer or till you have a dying experience to think and to learn of, on what really matters? So what they do is that they invite people to speak with uh, mostly high, uh, high school students. And it's like a one day with three presentations of people that have uh, something to say about their life they're not uh, this is not like an academic uh, gathering it's like life uh, testimonials and what they say it's like this is my life this is what really matters to me and i will tell you so that you challenge yourself <laughs> to find what really matters to you and i think that's a great way of of uh, of showing like young people that there are many ways to find what really matters and to get young people to think on what really matters especially when i think we have to work a lot to help our youngsters see hope in the future and i think that's that's uh, that's a great thing a great way to do it like uh, what really matters foundation is doing yes so did yeah. you go to it or did you speak at it i can't remember why we brought that up i i, I was invited to to a lot of places in spain with them to to speak okay and, yeah that's and so. as part of it i had the chance of of listening to a lot of meeting a lot of like really really interesting people I, th I i would say for instance i met uh, irene villa irene is uh, uh, she's from spain she's from madrid i don't know how, how old is she she must be like 40 something when she was 12 or 13 she got in her car to go to the school with her mom and the bomb and the, and the car exploded with a bomb from the eta and her mom lost one arm and one leg. Irene uh, lost both of her legs up to the waist and three, three fingers from the left hand. And 
And what I find impressive, you know, about her story is that there's a point when her mom asks her, Irene, what are you going to do? Because there are like two, two roads ahead. One is being resentful and being angry with the people that did us this. And the second road is to forgive, to keep on with our lives and to move ahead. I will go with the second round. What will you do? And Irene answered, I don't have an issue, mom. I was born without legs and I don't have anyone to blame. And in one of the Congress, I have even a picture of that. I met a guy named Shane O'Doherty, Shane Paul O'Doherty, when he was, I don't know, 16, 17, I don't know, he was a teenager. He was the responsible of the bombs of the IRA army. And he put bombs. Mm -hmm. And they put him in jail. And after that, he's working in a rehab center in Ireland. And he went to what really matters to speak about his experience. Wow. And I wow. have a picture yeah. of Irene looking at him. And only, oh, wow. only a person who has really lived forgiveness is able to look at shame as Irene looks at him. That is when, uh, when, uh, when that's an example uh, of what, of what really matters, and it's not like a, a theoretical approach. It's like these experiences of truly seeing the power of forgiveness, and and yeah, but that was super powerful. Yeah, to be a part of. But yeah, I just remember when you talked about that in our lunch that I was. I thought what an amazing foundation and the message of, you know, don't wait until something like yeah. that happens. Don't wait till you're almost ready to die to think about what really matters. And it's so cool that it's focused on kind of teenager high school kids because it's easy when you're a high school kid to be, it's all about me and you're just living your life and you don't really, I don't know, you're not thinking yeah. about those things at that age, but how important it is to do that and how much better life you could have or a more fulfilled life and a life filled with empathy and love if you're focusing on what really matters before something happens before yeah i think that's an awesome thing they're doing i wish there was something like that in our community i think that that happens uh, i mean the, the what really matters is like very explicit on their objective and on the way of working but lindsay i think that that happens every day in real life you know I, I worked as a school principal for 10 years. And one of the things that I found incredible, and I really would say that have touched my life, especially I will talk, we didn't have high school. We just had till mid, middle school. And in middle school, what I found out is kids are putting like a space between them and their parents. And that's normal. They're, they're, trying to, they're trying to build their own personality. 
they're trying to be independent and they they put a distance there and they they seem to be like very confident but they're scared as hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they really they, they try to project that and to mingle with the crowd but but they're scared and i found that middle school teachers have the greatest opportunity in life to touch the minds the hearts and to be real mentors and tutors for kids that age and that happens every day in middle school i would say i learned this from from one of our middle school teachers he told me Look, Jorge, the, the, the subjects that we teach here, he was a great literature teacher, by the way, but he said the subjects that we teach are excuses. The real thing, what really matters, is our children's heart. That's what you write, the real literature. Literature is just like a way of getting close to them. In Spanish, it, it works very nicely because it's the subjects are the pretexto. Pretexto is excuse. <laughs> the text, the, el texto, is the heart of our kids. And that's the way I think, Lindsay, it works every day. What really matters works every day in the ordinary miracle of middle school teachers when they are really passionate and have the really responsible opportunity to touch the life of, of, of every kid at that age. And what yeah, I think yeah. is that in Mexico, it's like a very fun in the north of the north of, of the country, you go there and you don't even know a kid that you're meeting, but they would say, hey, Say hi to your tío Jorge, you know, your uncle Jorge. You're not his uncle, you just met the guy. <laughs> but that's the way they do it, you know? It's like, and I find there's a wisdom there. Because mm -hmm. from nowhere, you have any cousin. And if we would, I, I, that, I got that to our school. And I, I told every parent that in, uh, enrolled the kid in our school, Okay, you're enrolling your kid. And when you sign this paper, I said, you're enrolling your kid. Okay, you are responsible as being the mom or dad of your kid. But you're signing that you are responsible of being the uncle or aunt of the other 200 kids. And that's what mm, we need. Cool. We need uncles. We need people that care for the kids, even if they're not your direct kids and I think that that builds up a community at least in my experience that's what worked with me yeah I really appreciate um, teachers that make yeah. the effort and go above and beyond just teaching the subject and doing what you said um, I have a, my oldest son um, had some yeah has some learning disabilities and was some in some special ed classes and they some other classes called co-taught classes so he would have the teacher, but then there'd be another teacher there 
with him. And, you know, I, as a mom, I was nervous about his experience there. Like, was he going to be bullied? Was he going to feel behind? Was the te- were the teachers going to treat him different? And at least my experience with our um, high school here, I mean, it was an amazing experience because these some of these teachers really went out of their way to make him feel um, accepted and to feel part of the class and to not feel different. And um, we'd go to parent-teacher conferences and they would just tell him how wonderful he was and how they loved having him in the classroom and they wished other kids could learn from him and his, you know, and he's just a really nice, you know, kid, Mm -hmm. but school was hard for him. But these teachers made his experience different than it could have been. It could have been an awful experience for him. But to this day, he's graduated, but he is a Riverton High School fan through and through, and he loved his experience there. And he even had, you know, some students that really... Uh, made a difference in his life, reached out to him, ate lunch with him, you know, and I so appreciated how it wasn't the education I was concerned about for him. I was concerned about how people made him feel. Yeah. And luckily he was able to feel part of the school. He was able to feel liked and loved and accepted by his peers and his teachers. And that made all the difference for him and for me as his mother. That's so cool. Cause I, you know, you've said what a big fan of Riverton high he is and he'll support all the sports and mm-hmm. different things, but that makes so much sense. I had just, you know, now that you are saying that I'd kind of thought, Oh yeah, of course he graduated from there and he had a good experience, but of course, like having those he teachers some loyalty to, Oh yeah. That made that such a wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I think that's, uh, that in my wife, she works in a school, and it's an inclusive school. And uh, th- also, that's what I found there, that really inclusion, it's not um, like just giving a kid the chance to be there, but thinking as a strategy for life. Teachers, they have to make uh, curriculum adjustments for people, for kids with special needs, they develop the competence and the ability to make curriculum adjustments for all the other kids. So the school, the school gets better. The teachers get better by having your kid there. It's not just like a, like a, like a gift that they give him. It's like a very gift that we all grow when we have the chance to be the best version of what we can be through each other. It's the same thing what you're saying with the accessibility for wheelchairs or for disabilities. He also has a disability and it was that they, you know, made some adjustments, but I know that it can also bless or help others like in every way, the teachers, the students, it helps us all, just like you were saying, on both the physical, mental, intellectual side. If we can have inclusion in all these ways, it only strengthens and helps all of us. Yeah. It's like a two-way gift for yeah. everyone. Yeah. Oh, well, that's awesome. I know. This has been... I know. I just love talking to you, I which know. I already Such knew a I good did. conversation, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have other thoughts or perspectives that you want to share with us? I mean, I feel like we've been... I know, it's been so good. Yeah, any other parts of your story that you want to touch on? or I would, I would like yeah. to talk to you about uh, the, one of the first things that we talked about, but it was just like, by the way, Chantel, it's the, the, title, of, the title of my book, Ensanchar la Vida, To Bother Your Life. 
I would like to tell you the story that's behind that. Yeah, I would love to oh, hear yeah. that. I, I work in Mexico in the Teleton Foundation. We have two, 22 rehab centers. We have a, a cancer hospital, an autism center, and a university. It's a very big foundation, and I'm very proud to work there and to, to work with people that work for 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 people. That's that's my job there. I, 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 I love my work, and I love working with people that help other people. And... I remember many years ago, it was like, uh, it was a fundraising event that day, it was like a presentation, it was like, you know, all this production with, with lights and with music and it was like a very paradoxical place because I met a little boy, six or seven years old, Daniel. And I remember that that day, he was receiving his diagnostic. His mom was there, and they just received the diagnosis of a muscular dystrophy of Duchenne. And if you know that, it's not just like a disability, it's a progressive disease and where you're getting each time more paralyzed. Till, till your breathing paralyzes. So I remember that was in Mexico City. I went on the highway driving to Cuernavaca, which is like one hour drive. And while I was driving in my mind, I was thinking, why does this happen? Why, why a kid gets this disease? Why is life like this? You know, these are like Stupid questions because they don't have answers. <laughs> and I remember a friend of mine, Eduardo, that he told me, you know, he told me, you know, Font, there are questions that are by themselves answers. If you find something about yourself, and if you make a question of truly something important about yourself, thanks to Daniel, Daniel's life, short or long, is truly meaningful. And I remember that my grandpa, my grandfather, who was a doctor, he always told me, you know, life, you cannot always make life longer, but you can make it broader, wider, mm -hmm. deeper. And that is what I think life is about. Try to make your life broader, wider, deeper. And in the way, try to help others through that. And, you know, God knows where Daniel is now. But we're talking about him here. That is mm -hmm. a way to transcend. That is the way yes. to go through the adventure of life, living and letting others see your footprints or your willprints or your love. <laughs> yeah. Living with the, living with the, uh, with the truly like hope of being useful to others and to help them live a better life. I think that's what I love about meeting people with challenges, 
and I know that's what you love about your podcast because it's like mm -hmm. going through life with the attitude of a permanent apprentice who when you meet someone you make like a reverence, a reverence with your heart and you can say you you are my teacher and thanks to you I will have the chance to visit parts of my heart and my mind and my soul that only because you exist I will visit and I will know and that is the greatest gift of really meeting people different perspectives different experiences and I really wish that you keep on with this job calling that you're doing because it helps a lot of us to know and visit parts of our heart and our mind and our soul that sometimes with the rush of life we forget to visit so thank you thank you thank you mm. Yes. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I love that. That was super powerful. Yeah. And I feel like it really wrapped up kind of your whole purpose, you oh, know, I the know. living, you know, with intention, being grateful for today, you know, realizing what really matters and then giving back to others by sharing your story and then mm -hmm. touching. Yeah. I just, wow. Yeah. And I think I had read that quote on your bio. Can you say it one more time? Did you say it was your grandfather that told you at first that was a, a doctor? It was, you can't make your life longer? Or how did, how did you say it exactly? My, my grandfather, what, what he said is, you can't always make your life longer or other. Mm -hmm. But you can always make it broader, make it wider, yeah, okay. make it deeper. And he, one last thing that I would say that he also taught me is like, and also my mom told me this. There are some moments in life when life smiles at you. But the important parts in life are when you have to smile to life, even if it's not smiling back, because that's where you show what's really in your heart. And that is, I think, one of the uh, things that are truly helpful because it helps you step out of victimhood because the you can always blame the circumstances and, and blame them for your feelings and for your attitudes. But as Viktor Frankl says, the truly freedom is the, the liberty, the freedom to decide what is going to be your attitude to face life. And I think that that's yeah. what, what's the, what a lot of people that I've heard in your podcast teaches. It's like things, same things can happen. The difference is how lucky are you with the people that are around you and what yeah. you, you want to take through life. And that, I think, are some of the clues, not all of them, but some of the clues that help us build our resilience and, and what help us be resilient also help us to live better lives. You don't only develop 
um, abilities or attitudes to be ready so when life hits you hard you're ready that's like living a life buying an insurance and I think that it's better to live your life fully enjoy the ride live it live it as an adventure so that when life strikes you you're ready you're prepared you have been trained enjoying your training every day so that you can be a better person so when life asks you a difficult question you know like the the better way to answer back is in the plural of we of, of, of the people that are with you so I think that that's the that's what I think about uh, enjoying the adventure of life and enjoy it by sharing it to others so it can be multiplied yeah yeah, that's great. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, Victor Frankel, he comes up a lot. I know, he has, yeah. There's probably so many good quotes in that book. Yeah, <laughs> have it all it's a great highlighted. book. Yeah. Um, all right, well, should we... We usually like to end our interview with asking how you find beauty in life after going through your transition. I feel like you've already shared so many wonderful things, but I feel like you might, have, you know, have, have more. more. Yeah, so what... Or anything. Yeah, how do you take that into your life? I would say, like... If I would have to say something even like different from what I've been saying all, all the podcast mm-hmm. has been, mm-hmm. I hope that it has not been very long and repetitive. But I would, no, I uh, loved it. I would say yeah, something different. And mm-hmm. you know what's really something different that I've found in life that is something that I would like to practice more is spiritual and healthy sense of humor. To laugh at my stupid problems because when you laugh at yourself, you take perspective and you put your problems in the size that they are. And I think that that's one of the things that I love about Tere, Pablo, my cousins, my brother, my friends, is that they make me laugh about myself so I don't take myself too seriously so I can go through life being more light and more helpful to others. I think that a healthy sense of humor, they say it's a way to know how spiritual a person is because if you laugh at yourself, it's because that's what they say. It's because that you trust that there is something bigger than you. If you laugh mm-hmm. about yourself, you're being truly spiritual. So I hope that I can be a truly spiritual guy and laugh about me and my problems and take life less seriously and more wisely. Ooh, I love that. So good. Yeah, I love that. I've never thought of it quite in that way. So I really like that you. Yeah, I like the gave perspective. I mean, yeah. I know I feel good when I laugh and I know that it's like healthy. And I even think when Victor Frankl talks about the importance of humor, you mm-hmm. know, when you're getting going through hard things as well as like appreciating, you know, nature or whatever, but humor. And I was like, wow, humor, like even in his circumstance in a concentration camp, like yeah. it was important to laugh at yourself. And so I think that's great. And 
yeah, that was very like a different perspective and a different idea, but it's, yeah, I love that. It still kind of goes with who you are because mm-hmm. I feel like you just are a, you know, a happy person with a good perspective and yeah, um, can laugh at, we have to laugh at ourselves. Yeah. Sometimes we do. <laughs> it helps get through life for sure. <laughs> so this has been so amazing and yeah. we're so grateful that you took the time and honored yes. that you shared your story and perspectives with us. And I just, I feel really grateful that it, that I got to meet you and I almost, I feel like I haven't been able to portray like how, like it's like a special moment it was to be able to meet you and your wife. And then, you know, the way I left you, I just felt good and I felt happy inside and I felt nourished by you and your wife's story and your, just your essence, I guess. Yeah. Like, um, so I just feel really grateful and I, I love the Mexican culture. So I love the way my husband knows Spanish and I have a sister-in-law um, that speaks Spanish and my daughter's going to Spain and she's learning Spanish. So I love um, the language and how things are just a little bit, they're portrayed a little bit differently, but I feel like it's a, uh, I don't know what the word, like a more intense language or more, you guys describe things more intensely. Um, but I love that. And I, one of the things you said um, was if you ever come back to Orlando, we would, cause we just met at a restaurant when we um, met you and Teresa, but I loved how you said, if you come back to Orlando, we'd love to receive you in our home. Mm. And like, I love that word. Cause we don't like, that's not, we would say, we'd love to have you over. But yeah, I feel like when you casual, say, yeah, yeah, when you say you were, you're receiving me in your home, it seems like a very like intimate, um, invitation. Gesture, yeah. yeah. Like that you really are honored to have us in your home and we would be honored to be there. So I just love who you are. I love your culture and the just, yeah, you're very eloquent. And I feel the same way. Like you're saying, like, after this conversation, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I got to go back and take notes of several things and post them on my fridge and all sorts of stuff. So you're very uplifting and inspiring and yeah, you're just a wonderful person. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy very much, uh, like this experience. And I, I, I like that word, you know, experience. It's yes. not mm-hmm. an interview. It's not, it's not a, just a podcast. It's like the experience of people that just want to go through life like helping ourselves and others to enjoy the ride live the adventure and find meaning on what we're doing so i think that's what life's about so it's a great experience to be with you thank you so much and of course you're invited and we will receive you in our home. <laughs> well, if you ever make it to Utah, you're also, I would love to receive you in my home. Yeah. <laughs> if you make it to Utah. So, okay. Well, thank you, Jorge. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and would love if you subscribe to the podcast and follow it along as we continue hearing more inspiring stories. You can also follow us on Instagram at beautiful shifts podcast, where we will post updates with our latest interviews. We'd like to thank the band We The Lion for giving us permission to use their beautiful song Move Along for our podcast. Take a minute to listen to the song and the lyrics and enjoy. I find a way to know myself All my thoughts are mine again And begin to understand where to go Now it's time to move along Now it's time to move along
take this journey as my own Feel the strength right in my bones All I want is to believe Life is my own, life Start again, my mind is free now. I can feel the truth in me. I'll take a chance, I won't be wrong. Yes, now it's time to move along. Now it's time.